Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman, a mom to an incredible young adult son on the autism spectrum. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast three years ago was that the content of each episode bring hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to season three of Living the Sky Life. Thank you for tuning back into another episode of Living the Sky Life. First of all, my sincere apologies. Um, I didn't anticipate taking a month off from uploading another episode. Um, Things have just been crazy, as I'm sure most of you can relate. Um, It seems like anything and everything with Skylar's medical health and um, just his his day program, everything that can go wrong has kind of been going wrong. It's been a really rough couple months for us. I'm hopeful that we are on the upswing and that things will start to normalize of whatever normalizing is in our family. Um, we just hope that there's an upswing and things start to get back to a little bit easier way of life. Um, but in the process of the time that I was off, um, I still was kind of working on content for the podcast. One of the things that I talk have talked about frequently is the need for more conversations about adult resources. Once our kids reach the age of 18 and 19, it really starts looming that um, our options are pretty limited, at least in the state where I live. And um, at, at the age of 22, pretty much all services that he currently experiences end. And there isn't much al- along the way of day programs, um, group homes, residential living. There's really minimal to no options for us. And so I got to thinking, like, this hopefully isn't the case across the country. But as I'm talking to more and more parents, Sadly, this is the case, and this has been going on for decades. So my goal in doing this three-part series, which hopefully will branch out into many, many more episodes than just three, um, is to look at some of the states across the country and see what the offerings are for our adult children on the spectrum or just adult children in general with disabilities that need services and support from our states and trying to figure out where the best places are as far as states go that are getting it right. And so hopefully this will bring some information and hopefully some some helpful tips and tricks and um, more questions that we, got, I guess, need to be asking for those of you who have children that are younger and maybe aren't in this boat yet of having to look into these things. But I always say, too, that it's never too soon to start researching um, future options because it creeps up on you. I mean, I cannot believe that I have a 19-year-old, um, soon to be 20, and um, if this is just hitting me so quickly. I feel like I didn't have a lot of time to prepare, even though I did. So hopefully this, inf- this um, first episode where we cover the states of Michigan and Arizona um, will provide some input for you guys. The next um, episode will have four other states represented. And then the third in the series 
will um, cover California again and some additional states as well. So on this on today's episode, I have Jess Ronnie from Michigan. Um, a lot of you may be familiar with Jess, but her son Luke um, will be 18, and uh, she talks about some of the resources that she has found and the deficiencies in the system in Michigan. And Robin Lavoy is my guest from Arizona, and her son um, is, um, sorry, I have to check my notes. Her son, Blake, is 23 years old, and she talks about um, what they're what they've been doing currently for him in Arizona and some of the resources she's aware of. So thank you for tuning in again. And um, I apologize for being gone for a month, but hopefully I can continue to put out content that has value to all of your lives and um, helps you ask some of the questions that maybe you hadn't even thought of. So enjoy this episode with Jess and Robin. So welcome back to another episode of Living the Sky Life. It's been a little while since I've posted an episode, but I've been doing some research and I really think it's important to touch on um, parents with older children, young adults, and all of the um, resources and support that we are desperately seeking and trying to figure out um, for the future of our kids. So I, um, my first episode of a three-part series today features Robin Lavoy from Arizona and Jess Ronnie from Michigan. So we're going to talk a little bit about the resources that they have found or lack thereof in the states they reside. Um, and I'm going to chime in with my Indiana, Kentucky um, knowledge, what I have of it. So welcome to the podcast, Robin and Jess. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Thank you. It's great. I'm so glad to be talking to you guys today. Um, before we kind of get started into resources, I, I was hoping that you guys could share a little bit about your um, son or daughter, and it's sons for both of you, um, and what services they currently receive, how old they are, just kind of their diagnosis, and a little bit about um, the background of your, your family. So Robin, do you want to go first? Sure. Sure. Um, my son is Blake. He is going to be 23 and just like a few weeks, um, in July. And, uh, and so he is autistic. He is more on the nonverbal end of the spectrum. He does have a little bit of language, just some short words and short phrases, um, to get his need, you know, his basic needs met as far as, um, asking for a few things. Um, we went through several years of, um, some pretty intense behaviors. And so that's always kind of, um, overshadowing what we're able to do with him. Um, but he is getting, you know, progressively more and more independent with some of the things that he's able to do. Um, it, despite his, his language deficits, he's not able to use, or he's not interested in using any kind of communication device or anything. So we just kind of interpret what we can. And um, he does know how to read. So we do a lot of um, text cues and um, that kind of thing for communicating with him. He is um, in Arizona. He ha we have service that we have pretty good services here. If you can find the providers like on paper, we have um, when he turned 18, we had to kind of reapply to, you know, make sure that he was still eligible for the state services, um, which he was Clearly, it was just easy to get him services because he still needed them all. Um, and he is able to have um, attendant care, respite, habilitation, speech and OT and day program. Um, and he goes to a day program a couple of days a week now that is um, 
fantastic. And um, it's a little bit of a drive. They don't have transportation. So we I do drive him. Um, and that's something that down the road, I'm gonna have to figure out because I get a little tired of the drive, but, um, and um, he lives at home with us. We actually um, in 2019 finished building a house. My house, my husband's a home builder and we decided to build a house that has um, an attached apartment for him. Um, sort of, I mean, it's kind of just one side of the house. So he has his own like little kitchen and living room to kind of build into those skills of being able to, you know, do as much as he can do on his own, but still be with us. Um, mm -hmm. And that for now is what we're doing. Um, so that's kind of what's going on with us. Did you, you said that, you know, on paper, there looks like there's just a ton of wealth of options for someone that's 18. Um, did you find, did you have any experience with calling places and they're like, oh, well, if he's got behaviors, we can't take him. Or if, is he toilet trained? Is he able he to is, do some of those things? Okay. Yeah, he is toilet trained, but he still does need some assistance in the bathroom or reminders and, um, and helping clean up sometimes. And we still are working on shower skills and all of that kind of stuff. So he does need a little bit of assistance in that way. Um, and we do, the pandemic kind of messed us up as far as trying to find a lot of services because everything kind of shut down for a little while. And then mm -hmm. we just weren't comfortable kind of really reaching out yet. So, I mean, we're still, we're kind of just getting back into that, but there's definitely not as many services, day programs. There's a lot of day programs here, but um, I didn't look too far into a lot of different ones because we found one that a lot of the staff came from the school that he had been to. So they all oh, knew nice. him and it yeah. was just like a perfect fit for us to just drop him into there. Um, I have heard from other parents here that there definitely are times where they can't find a place that has the right ratios or that has, um, you know, a one-on-one -on -one kind of service or something like it's not possible. And that's the only thing in the, in the state services where you can have habilitation, but you can't necessarily have a provider billing at the same time as your day program. So you can't like set, you could private pay to send somebody with your kid to their day mm -hmm. program. But um, so there's always, there's constantly fights about that, like trying to really make sure that the kids who really need that one-on-one -on -one service um, are getting that um, real support in the day programs. Well, I'm glad that you guys were able to find that resource that, you know, he, people he knew that's the hardest part. I feel like is starting over. They're always having someone to try to get to know them and us get to know the providers and whether it's a good fit or not, whether they understand even his communication. It sounds like you guys know for the most part, what he's trying to say, but if somebody new had to come on board and try to, to interpret what it is that he needs or wants, or if he's getting upset it's just such a, it's a hard little conundrum to be in because we want the services, but if it's yeah. not going to be beneficial to everybody. Yeah. And that's what, it's always been hard for us. Like we've had the services as far as like habilitation hours and stuff, but finding the people who really we trust and we can train and, and everything is, is always a, a challenge. And so when we find someone, we want to keep them on forever. And like, mm -hmm. how dare you go back to school or, <laughs> or get married or get move. married. No. <laughs> you cannot have, have your own child. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Right. No way. Oh gosh. Well, Jess, you want to tell, um, the very few people probably that don't know about Luke. Do you want to talk about Luke a little bit? 
Yeah, uh, Luke will turn 18 in August. Um, and it's kind of shocking to me. I think as the day inches closer and closer, I'm like, oh, wow, here we are. Like he's about to be an adult. Um, he has numerous diagnoses, including uh, severe autism um, and a lot of other things, limited vision, limited mobility, uh, Chiari, tethered spinal cord, um, scoliosis, like a bunch of things which mean that he will require total care for the rest of his life. Um, and we have just moved constantly. Uh, for those who aren't aware of my story, um, we've moved numerous times in the past couple of years, just kind of searching for this unicorn idea of where should we land for services and support. A year ago, we moved back to my hometown um, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We built an accessible home for Luke. Um, with this huge, beautiful custom built safety bed and you know all the things that you do, the thousand dollar door locks to keep them from eloping and you know all the things. Um, the faucet on the bathtub that he can't turn and like scorch himself with burning hot water. So we built that, we just moved into it about a month ago um, and we're adjusting. And on paper, again, just like Arizona, Michigan looks really good and they do some things really well. Um, it's the only state where these kids can go to school until they're 26. So as for like getting super frantic, I'm not really there yet because he can attend year round school until he's 26. Um, we also get ABA hours that come to the home. And I just found out that his insurance is um, eliminating the age limit for that. So he'll no longer age out at 21. They're gonna continue that. Um, and then we get community um, living support hours, but we have to find the providers. Um, and that is the biggest issue is finding those providers and finding people who will stay with your family and not show up for a time or two and go, you know what, I don't want to do this for $15 an hour. This is not worth it type of thing. And finding mm -hmm. those passionate people because Lucas is not toilet trained either. And that seems to be the biggest barrier to finding help is nobody wants to change a 17 year old. I, and I get it. I but, don't either. <laughs> you know, I don't really either, <laughs> but yeah, part of it. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, long-term, we do have day programs. I'm not entirely sure how that works because they can go to school till they're 26. So I haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, and then just in terms of residential options, our long-term goal is to have him placed in a beautiful residential facility. Um, I'm very, very picky about what that looks like and where it would be. I want it like within 20 minutes of where I live so that I can visit every day if I want to. Um, and basically in Michigan, you or your husband, you or your partner has to be like on your deathbed um, or have like a terminal illness before you'll even get bumped to a place where they will consider placing your child. Um, if I were to call and be like, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore. They might find him like a group home three hours away from us and say, well, here's your option or five hours away. Um, and we could go that route. That's not, you know, something I'm comfortable with, obviously. Um, and we're not to that point. Um, and so I actually just filed, um, for a DBA today for, um, my nonprofit, the Lucas Project, we are moving forward with creating a village for disabled adults here in West Michigan. And hopefully that will be a reality in the next five to seven years and we'll have a place for him to go.
Yeah. I and mean, that's something that um, Robin and I were talking about a little bit before we started recording that, um, you know, just in the research that you and I have talked about, um, Jess, so many of these, you know, villages, as you call it, but group homes or residential living facilities are started by parents. And like, you know, we have so many other things to worry about. It's just so just mind boggling to me that in addition to getting our kids from diagnosis to adulthood, then we have to start a whole nother phase in our lives. And then we have to build a place for them to live. And if we can't be the caregivers until our death, which is really hard to do. So then we have to build, invest every financial resource we have, unless we can find donors, um, build this facility, staff the facility, maintain it and make sure that everything is on the up and up. And we literally triple our caregiving to about you know, 10, 20 kids, however many live in there, when we were just trying to simplify our lives as a caregiver for 24 seven for our own child. So I just don't know why the system is so broken and why people think that at age 18, our kids are good. Like they're adults they're and everything <laughs> right, is not. great. It almost doubles almost the needs that they have. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, sure. We get SSI. It's like Skylar gets, I think, $84 a month or something like that. For, or I mean, sorry, $840 a month for his check. And um, I do his respite. Um, I became a certified respite provider at 18 for him because he never, we never use any of his hours because we couldn't find any respite care. So the state of Indiana allows for um, a parent to become the respite caregiver and be paid. So then I just take the money and put it in his trust because I mean, I might as well get paid to do his laundry mm -hmm. and feed him and do all the things that I'm doing anyway. Um, so, I mean, I guess you call that a benefit if, if you're not able to work and you can at least get, um, I think I get $12 an hour to um, be his respite care provider, which is peanuts for a family if they needed that income as their sole income. Um, but other than that, there's no day programs um, at all. There is one that was pretty good before COVID and since COVID, they're not taking anyone new and he wouldn't be admitted because he's not toilet trained. Um, Andy occasionally has behaviors where he'll slap someone or something, you know, on the arm. So they're like, we don't want to deal with that. So mm -hmm. he wouldn't be able to go to the one program. And then as far as group homes and residential living, it's the same thing. It's probably five young adults, varying needs to maybe two to three caregivers. So it, that's a, wouldn't work either because he needs somebody 24 seven, just assigned to him, um, at least to rotate in with him. So we are at a loss. And one of the main reasons I'm doing this podcast with several parents from around the country is to figure out what states are kind of doing it right. And um, either we can replicate that in, in our states or we're moving because this state is not doing it for us. <laughs> Services end at 22. Um, so we're, we're left on our own essentially at that point. So I I don't know what the answer is. I don't think families should have to uproot their entire lives and move to another state and start over because we lose the waiver, we lose all the things and we'll end up at the bottom of all the wait lists. But I don't know that I can do this for 40 more years mm -hmm. if I have 40 more years. Well, <laughs> in speaking, you know, <laughs> Michigan too, Michigan recognizes that there's a massive housing shortage for these disabled adults as they get older. Um, and they've offered to partner and contract with anybody who wants to start something. And part of me is like, why can't you start it? Like you have way more time on your hands than I do. <laughs> I'm a mom to eight kids, including a profoundly disabled child. 
-hmm. come people can start these beautiful retirement communities all over the United States and nobody's starting anything for our kids? I would even think like there has to be some profitability in this, like for investors looking to start, you know, in this avenue with disability. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think these are conversations we have to have because you do see housing go up for everybody except for our children. And I don't understand that. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I do think that there's a lot that has to do with visibility. Like I think our kids and our adults with disabilities have been um, ignored because they're just been invisible to people. And so I don't think, I think people who are in the housing development industry don't necessarily know what the need is. And so we just have to keep talking to people and talking to people. I mean, I know in Arizona, there are several different kinds of little um, projects that mostly started by parents that have tried to do some kind of bigger than a group home type of thing Mm -hmm. where they have like an apartment complex or they have, there's actually one in Phoenix that has, that's actually like a set of homes where I think the parents buy the home or something and then they have a community like they have a community center in the middle and they have these homes around the outside that are all for people with disabilities to live in and they bring in caregivers and stuff like that but it's but it's most of it is private pay it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. covered by the state services they get some state services in there um but so people are you know just trying to experiment with all these different mm-hmm. types of things um and the our like our autism society group here and some of the other dis- disability groups are trying to make noise about what needs to change um because the group home situation is not pretty so we're trying to find better ways for our kids to be able to live without having to just stay home but we mm-hmm. couldn't find we weren't ready mostly because of partly because of Blake's communication deficits. We didn't feel comfortable putting him anywhere to trust that anyone was gonna be able to keep him safe. So for now, we just decided we're like, for now, for the short term, at least we're gonna be here. Maybe eventually this, this home could become a group home. He can stay here. Other people can move in and we can start to train people to be yep. here. And you know, it's that kind of thing, but I would love to have some other kind of community and that's part of the reason too why this day program that we are going to start started from parents three three or four parents above us you know a few years ahead of us said what are our kids doing after school we need to do something so they created a nonprofit and they're they're you know mm-hmm. moving forward with it and they're doing they've been open for about five years and they're just doing really great and I know that some of them a lot of the participants families are thinking okay who among us can be roommates. What can we do? You know, how can we go to that next step and figure out where they're going to live? And you wonder who's going to take that over. I mean, those parents aren't going to be around forever that started that nonprofit. Who do we then pass the torch to? I I hate to say that it would be our other children. If we have other children, um, neurotypical children coming in and kind of swooping in where the parents leave off. But that's my other big worry is even if I can get Skylar some of these services, I'm not going to be here to monitor things. So if I check in on him every single day at a group home, when I'm not able to do that anymore, who's going to care about his well-being until he's 75 or 80, which most of our kids are living to that age. 
you know, after I'm gone, I just, I can't, I can't justify all of us creating these things. And then they just kind of fizzle out just because they don't have somebody overseeing the, the needs of, of those programs. So I don't, I don't know what the answer is for that. Um, but Robin, you just kind of bring me to my next question. Um, because Blake is at home, I know he kind of has his one little spot in the house that's kind of his independent wing. Um, but what is your life like day to day as a caregiver? Because he still needs you to do a lot of things for him um, by the sounds of it. So what is what does that look like? Well, it's interesting because he has that space, but he is all over the house all the time, which is fine. And we're fine to have him live with us. But we were hoping when we moved in that this would kind of be, he would be comfortable on his side of the house to do his things, but he wants to do his things everywhere. And, you know, so, so it's just a lot of, um, I mean, I, I do 24 seven, you know, cooking for him and doing all of the regular daily tasks. Um, I'm teaching him constantly how to do his own, as much of his own chores as he can. Um, and we've just been building on that and building little skills as we can. Um, and I'm driving him, you know, to wherever he needs to go for day programs and stuff like that. And, um, and, you know, I try to, I, I work a little bit from home and I just try to get up super early before he gets up and try to get my work in. And sometimes he can, he has to be up and sitting in my office with me and watching what I'm doing <laughs> and interrupting yeah. all the time. But, um, <laughs> but he, it's, it's really hard with him because he doesn't have any, he has not shown an interest yet in anything. And part of that is, it. you know, he's, he's a young adult and he's kind of like, I'm going to just be lazy and do what I want to do. But he, like, he doesn't, you know, want to go really do anything he wants he and he's waiting for us and I think he's been programmed for so long with all these therapies and everything that he's kind of just waiting for somebody to tell him what to do so mm -hmm. we're constantly like trying to show him or talk about different things that he could do not that he could do a lot because he still needs full support like you can't just like go get a, a job it would need to be something really supported but you know so that's one of the things that we like about this day program is that they try and they try to get them out in the community and just at least show them what it's like to volunteer at the food bank and what it's like to work in the garden center, you know, or whatever, just to try to show him that there's things he could get interested in, but he doesn't really mm -hmm. do anything. So I just monitoring him and trying to keep him occupied um, all day long. You feel like you're having to entertain him? all day. Yeah. And I just got, I, I definitely got I to a point where I don't, where I'm like, nope, I can't entertain you. You're just going to have to find something to do. And he just wanders around the house. He's got his beads mm -hmm. that he spins and he just kind of wanders around. Okay. Jess, what is your, I mean, I know the answer to a lot of these questions, but a lot of people probably don't. What is your typical day-to-day, -day, you know, with Luke when he's not um, well he's in school he's in school for this final week and then he has two weeks off and that'll be intense um and then he goes back monday through thursday for the rest of the summer which is huge um and we just started aba with him he was kind of a late bloomer um i shared that story on my podcast about how we didn't really find out he had autism until later in life um, we just kind of had him under this banner of special needs because he had so many things going on that 
we were just sort of like special needs. And when our kids were younger too, autism was not like the, the big hot word that it is today. Um, you know, people weren't saying autism like they are today. So he went under the radar for a long time. Um, he is happy if he is busy. Um, I've never met a kid who loves to learn more, but he wants you to sit beside him and entertain him 24 seven. And if you're not willing to do that, or if a sibling's not willing to do that, or an ABA person is not willing to do that, he is extremely anxious, stimming, loud, banging. Um, we have set up our house, this new house that we built literally around Luke and you've been in my house, but we, we sort of created some boundaries where he can be safe to roam independently because he, he is wobbly with his mobility issues and vision issues, but he can kind of roam independently. And if his siblings need a break from him, we can kind of close him off from them so that they're not constantly being for lack of a better word, mauled, because that's mm -hmm. kind of what he does. He goes up and he grabs them and grabs whatever he can see. So that may be an arm, that may be hair, that may be whatever, and kind of drags them to do his bidding um, and trying to teach him more independent play um, because nothing he does is he's not content at all to mm -hmm. play independently. And as long as you're entertaining him like a teacher at school or a day program, day program he's happy as a clam but um if that stops for 15 minutes we often hear screaming or loud stimming or pacing um so oftentimes we just let him because we can't entertain him 24 7 I mean there are times I have to make dinner or and that's why we set up our house in this safe way to where he can loop and stem and be safe um by himself for a period of time if that's what he has to do um but i think some sort of like residential village with purpose i mean that's my goal with gardens and barns and a big you know building where they do crafts and stuff he would love that he just wants to be entertained and kept busy um and when you're a busy family i'm a full-time working parent my husband is we have seven other children we just cannot devote every second to him, nor do we want to. And I think removing the, the stigma from even saying that I'm his mom, I love him. I don't want to devote every second of my life to him. <laughs> like I will, if I have to, but I don't want to. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and Robin touched on it too. You know, that's the other part of this. That's so challenging when our kids age out of traditional services and there isn't anything to put them in, you have to make a decision as a family about, do you give up your job? Do you not? I work full-time also. And as he's getting closer and closer to 22, I'm panicking because I'm not ready to give up my job. I'm not ready to be entertaining him 24 seven and feeling like I have to take him places and constantly be moving. Skyler doesn't sit at all. So, um, it's always a challenge because he uh, drags me room to room, grabs my hand, pulls me this place. We'll get there. It's the kitchen. And I'm like, do you want something to eat? Cause he's nonverbal, completely nonverbal also. And he'll open the fridge and then he'll slam it shut. And I'm like, I, I don't know what that means. Then he'll drag me to his bedroom and it's all day long like that. So I'm just, you know, fast forwarding on days he's sick or it's a weekend, God forbid, a Saturday and Sunday. Um, 
I'm like, is this going to be my life every single day? And I just, I don't want to think that I'm going to have to quit my job and be his day program provider, his nighttime um, respite provider, his, his chef, his everything that I've already been doing. I just don't know what the answer is. Um, and, and like you said, Jess, I, I think there's, I even had a stigma around saying like placing him in a group home or a residential living facility back in the day. I mean, even as early as five years ago, I was always the mom who said, I'm never doing that. He's going to live with me forever. Nobody can love him and take care of him like I can. I'm not going to even entertain that. But after they get older, bigger, stronger, more needy, I, I know that I am not equipped to do this until my 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I've talked to plenty of parents, moms especially, on the podcast who are in their 60s that have been doing this because nobody was talking about this. I mean, this has been happening for decades upon decades of parents just kind of waiting it out and spending their entire retirement years um, and golden years doing everything they were doing when their ch children were toddlers as, as young adults. And I just don't think that that's the life that our kids deserve. We deserve, there has to be a better answer. Don't you think? Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I, um, so I, since Blake turned 18, I was able to get paid for it as his attendant care provider. And so we, we took that on and it, that was really helpful because I was only working part-time. And so it, that really helped me. It helped our finances or whatever. And it also just, it just validated. I'm like, yes, this is a job. This is a yeah. full-time job here that I have not been getting paid for, for his whole life. But it was interesting for me because once the, when everything closed down and he wasn't for a little while, he wasn't able to get out of the house and wasn't able to go to his day program. It really hit me. Like we, we built this house. We, you know, we had all these plans for him to live with us forever, whatever. And then when we were both really home together and I was doing everything, I was like the same thing. Am I really going to be able to do this for the rest of my life? And why am I putting myself in this position? And what, what I'm trying to remind myself is he does have these attendant care hours. They don't have to be me. Somebody else could get paid for those hours to come in. We have a separate place for him. They could be doing his cooking. They could be, you know, and, and teaching him things or whatever on his side of the house. And that's ultimately if he has to, if he does stay with us and we don't have any other options, this is, we at least do have that option where we can get in-home care and I can learn how to, I can practice separating myself and really, you know, still having my own life. And I'm, could and you find was, providers for that? That's like always the million dollar question. Like people are like, I have all this money. I could get providers, but can you find providers? Yeah. I don't know. Are? Yeah. I, I mean, it would, it's hard. It's challenging. And most people like there's a ton of agencies that offer the services, but most of them say, you got to find your own provider and then we'll train them and hire mm -hmm. them, you know, and, and pay them. So, um, I haven't tried yet, but I know it's going to be challenging to do that both to find someone who, you know, interacts and connects with Blake, but also that we trust and that, you know, is going to stick around and, you know, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but it's definitely okay. something we have to do. They're just paid so poorly. I mean, we all have heard that over the years that some of the parents have told me, like, if you do find a facility for Skylar, 
um, make sure it's run by a nonprofit because they pay the caregivers so much better and they take better care of them knowing how hard the job is. The state pay probably in every state I would wager is awful. They, mm-hmm. I mean, they just do not come. I mean, giving someone $14 an hour or whatever for the jobs that we do as moms and we know how hard it is, I wouldn't want to do it either. So I just, I guess that's where like Jess mentioned, mentioned in the beginning about retirement homes popping up everywhere. And as I mentioned to Robin earlier, like Habitat for Humanity, they're building homes all the time. Like how can we get the resources and build the facilities, but the caregiver piece is the biggest piece. I'm sure your husband's company or like, you know, lots of construction workers would help out and like help us build, you know, at a cheap cost and a lot of volunteers and the building process, I don't think would be as hard, but it's securing good care. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if we go to colleges and like, we have to pay $30 an hour out of pocket which parents like us probably don't have that money lying around because of all the non-insurance covered therapies we've done all these years. Um, There just has to be some sort of assistance from the state, from the federal level for us, for the future of our kids. SSI is not where it's at. That's not enough. No. And right now we're living in a societal climate too, where nobody really, I shouldn't say nobody, a lot of people don't even want to work. So, and you're looking at, you can go work at McDonald's for $20 an hour, or you can like change diapers on a 17 year old. I mean, what are you going to pick? That's the problem. I mean, this direct care worker path needs to be more of a career path with a lot more recognition um, and a lot more money behind it. I mean, they should be making $30 an hour, but that we should have funding for that pay rate as well. And then the recognition and the ability to sort of climb the ladder to success like we do with nursing and education. I mean, it should be right in line with those career paths where I think we would get a lot more qualified and long-term workers if we were to start to, you know, shift our perspective a little bit. I'm sure you guys have experienced over the years, like you find somebody who's really great with your child and they bond really well with them. We've stolen several people um, as babysitters when he was little, like we're like, we'll double you what you get from the place that you're at. And they hate us for that. But um, the caregivers were like, sure. I, I love Skylar. I love hanging out with him. And if you want to pay me more, that's great. I mean, that's how desperate we've become. We're doing that right now with one, of Luke's ABA, <laughs> with one of Luke's ABA clinicians. I just sent her a text this morning. I was like, would you ever work for us for private pay? She's like, I don't know if I'm allowed to. <laughs> I'm like, like well, you trying have to, to quit your other job. <laughs> steal her away. Like we want you. So why don't you quit your other job? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, cause it's rare that you find those people that really connect with your kid too. Mm-hmm. And that you feel safe with and that you trust. Well, yeah. and, th- and that's why the, the, the parents who started this nonprofit to do this day program, the, the teacher and several of the, the aides underneath her at our school, they took them, they basically like hired them out from under the school and said, you're going to come work for us. We're going to pay you more. We're going to, and they were, they already like that teacher had been at that school forever. So she had grown up with the, those kids had grown up with her. And so she was ready to 
see what they were going to be able to do in their adult lives and keep, you know, continue to, to work with them. So it was like a no brainer for her to, to just move on, but they just took all the people from, from the school and said, all of you are great with our kids. We're going to just move you with our kids into the next program. That's awesome. Yeah. That's I like, love it. I don't even feel bad at no, all. No, me neither. I, I mean, you have to be selfish when it comes to this, you know, predicament that we're in, but, um, Gosh, I love that idea. I wish somebody could follow Skylar from little to, because Mm -hmm. they, they believe in him because they know that one day of of aggressive behavior or whatever, because his ulcerative colitis has flared up and he's having just a bad day, that that's not representative of my child and how he is all the time. And they can handle it better. So they're like, come on, Skylar, this isn't you like what's wrong. And just talk to him like a 19 year old instead of freaking out. Like, Oh, he's too aggressive for us. You're going to have to come pick him up. Oh, I mean that don't even get me started on it. <laughs> oh, I hate when they call me to come get him for stupid things. Oh, I do they too. just don't want, they don't have the patience and they don't want to deal with it. I'm like, then you shouldn't be in this line of work because no, he's mild compared to what you could get. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, what in the, in a perfect scenario, um, you know, just in five years from from Blake's age of 23 or when he's close to 30, what would you love to see? where he's living, what he's doing, um, in a perfect world, if you could just cherry pick every single thing for him and your future too, you and your husband, like, what would you like to see? That's so hard to, I know, envision <laughs> it because we, I would, I want, I need him to be, I need him to have an interest. That's like my primary things. He needs to have something that makes him happy to do. And I don't even care. It doesn't have to be a job. It doesn't even have to be, I I want him to have a a community where he feels like he belongs and he has a purpose right now. He just doesn't have a purpose Mm -hmm. Um, or he doesn't even know that that's a possibility. I don't, I just don't think he knows yet what life looks like without school or without, you know, like Mm -hmm. he just hasn't quite gotten to that next step of oh, I could do something with my time. I don't know. Um, Is it the routine he likes? Like he, he loves knowing I'm going to wake up at this time. I'm going to do this. We're going to go here. I like this. Or does he not even, you know, I would say, cause I used to think that it was, that it was true. Like what, from what Jess said, like he likes to be busy and he wants to, you know, have stuff to do, but lately it's just been pulling teeth to get him to want to do anything besides eat and you know so like so but I also um I would love for him to have friends you know have he doesn't really have any friends he sees people at his day program and they kind of know him and you know they kind of get along they tolerate Mm -hmm. each other but it's not like really he's not gonna you know make a request to see anybody necessarily so um it's hard for me to imagine him not still hard for him me to imagine him not living with us mm-hmm. but ideally it would be amazing if we could have a place where I felt comfortable and he could be happy with some peer related you know with some peer aged people and not with us old people all the time you know I mean he's no I totally get that you yeah. know some community interaction is all that we're asking for. I'm tired of feeling like I'm isolated at home, that I can't take him anywhere. 
even at church, we sit on the outside of the actual, you know, chapel. Like we don't go in, we sit outside, we can, and there's mics and we can hear everything. Um, but it's just, I just never feel like I'm included in anything. And maybe I do that to myself by setting us out. Cause I don't want him to clap and disrupt mass and things like that. Um, but I just wish he had a friend, even if they don't communicate with each other, just a kid that always he see or a young adult that he always sees that he knows is going to be there. Um, and they're kind of, you know, non-speaking buddies or whatever <laughs> the case may be, you know, the, right. just the vibe from each other, they can relate to one another. Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And I, one of the other parents that I talked to from California, she said, um, and it made me think of, of residential living and group homes so differently. She said, you know, just think of your, if, if you have other children, um, think about them going to college and like how excited they are at 18 to just kind of do their own thing and get out from underneath you guys as parents. And our kids deserve that too. And if I look at it that way, instead of being selfish and saying, I want him to stay here, I want to keep an eye on him and make sure everything's happening the way I want it to. He's probably so tired of me telling him what to do. Like he maybe wants a little bit of life outside of us and would love for us to visit, (laughs) but like, go home, go to your own place. And I've got mine and give him a chance to acclimate outside of my house. I guess it's just finding that place to put him in. Does that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, totally. it does. Is that Vanessa you're referencing from California? Um, no, um, oh. actually, Sylvia was on. I've had okay. several parents on. Like I said, in the last few years, um, there's a, a woman, Michelle O'Leary in Florida. Um, and some of the placements were done kind of an emergency situation because of aggressive behavior. Others were, it was just time. Um, they bought a house next door um, and, you know, they're, child is living in it with the caregiver and, and they're slowly acclimating them to that home, even though it's neighbors to their current house, just to have their own space. And they're the ones that kind of gave me a, a, a different picture of what that looks like instead of being so afraid to let him go to a, a group home or a residential facility. Um, I, I'm just thinking of it differently so he can have some independence. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I don't know if there's something wrong with me, but I've sort of wrapped my mind around it for a while. Um, I'm I'm sort of in the, a different boat. I see that as being his best life. If not anywhere, I keep reiterating that, like in a place where I really feel peace. But I think I've wrapped my mind around it too, because in understanding that a yes to the to Luke for the rest of his life with me being his caregiver is a no to so many other aspects of my life, including my other children, my marriage, myself, my desire to travel. Um, and I don't think Luke's best life is living in my basement, watching VeggieTales till the day he dies and we die. Um, and yeah, I, I feel a peace about moving forward and creating this for him, or I just don't see it happening outside of me creating it. So I think it has to be us creating it. We have a meeting set up with a realtor next week. Um, And this is the scenario in Michigan. Her son is 32 and she got to the point of desperation and said, I need a place for him. And they said, well, the only opening we have is three hours away in a group home. And she was like, okay, I'll take it. So she found out I was considering starting this village and she reached out and she said, I have a son three hours away and I hate it. I make it there once a week to see him. She said, I want to waive my realtor fees. I want to help you find either a fantastic deal or I want to help you find a donor who will donate land for this, but we're going to make this happen. So it's almost like 
the Lord is just kind of opening doors, like just Mm -hmm. take it step by step and walk through. And I guess as long as doors continue to open, I will move forward and have a piece about it. Um, If they start to slam shut, I'm going to have to reevaluate, but (laughs) that's, Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I'm a believer. I believe the Lord put this seed in my heart to move forward and create something for West Michigan, at least. And if it does well, we'll create it again somewhere else and we'll keep Mm -hmm. recreating it because there are families everywhere who need this option if they want it. Um, And that's what makes me sad. Like if you don't, that's fine. But if you want this option, you should have the option to have a beautiful place for your loved one to go. And it shouldn't have to come on the heels of like a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. And that's usually what occurs. And then your, your child gets placed in this foreign environment along with a mom or a dad dying. I mean, that's, I don't want that for Luke either. That's a horrific experience for everybody involved. So I'd rather be a part of it every step of the way while I'm still youngish, <laughs> healthyish. <laughs> And can go visit every day and have lunch with my boy if I want to, but not necessarily be his caregiver. Like, I just want to be his mom. Right. I think that's the biggest thing is we just want to be a mom, mom or a dad. We don't want to have to do every single thing for the rest of their lives. It just strips you of who you are too. And I mean, that's a whole nother topic about mental health and caregivers, which I know you dove into heavily with your documentary, Jess, but, um, I just, it just, these conversations need to happen so much more, but I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful to talk to you guys. I'm past the point of just bringing awareness to this. I mean, it's been decades. Everyone's aware. I feel like we're overly aware at this point that at the age of adulthood, everything as we know it ends. And so we have to create all these opportunities and I I expect action. I don't know if it's through Mm -hmm. congressmen and women, um, it's just, I don't even know what we can do, but I, I don't want to leave this life with like the people who have three and four-year-olds right now having to also be in this position as we are and figure it out for themselves because no one before them did it. So there's so, just, I don't know. We just have to take action and I don't know what the first step is, but mm-hmm. maybe just continuing to be super vocal about it and finding land like you're doing, Jess, and maybe your husband can travel around the country, Robin, and... <laughs> help us hammer some nails in and and make this happen. I don't, I don't know. Um, but just the connections that we can have with each other and just being loud advocates and demanding action from people is the only thing I know to do at this point. Do you think, do you think the general society is aware? Because I feel like caregivers are aware. We're Mm -hmm. all like, we get it, but I don't know that society at large is aware or care. I don't, I, think I don't it's think it's kind of like, are. Oh, it's their problem. They had that child. It's their child. They should figure it out. And you're a mom. Why wouldn't you take care of your child for the rest of his life sort of stigma. Mm-hmm. And I'm so sick of that. Um, like every other mother looks forward to 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, when their babies sort of fly the coop and become independent. And then there are the forever caregivers to, we don't have any hope. Like there's nothing. Our, our kids don't fly the coop. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. So I think it's bringing that awareness to the world, um, mm-hmm. which I'm not so sure that they're aware or they're just, they might be aware. They just don't know where to begin because it's such a huge problem. I don't know what it is with, with our families. 
I think there's also just in our society, there's, there's a stigma about disability and caregiving and um, even elder care. Like people don't see it, see caregiving as a legitimate profession. I mean, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. It's, it goes back to why we're not paying caregivers and attendant care enough because we as a society don't value that as a as a job we don't understand that or we're, we're just ignoring the fact that disability and and aging is a part of life and we should be forming communities that support all of the all of life and not just you know let's pretend like there's some normal that's you know a very small um, section of health and ability. It's just so we just, our society just ignores it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we need to be more vocal about what this really looks like for people in our, in our homes. When Especially they're... in America. I mean, I'm even thinking I, my late husband passed away from brain cancer. And even during that whole process of hospice, it was kind of tucked away. Like we're not gonna, nobody saw it. It was just in our den he was slowly dying and then he died and you're expected to sort of rebound immediately. Like we don't, and with disability too, you have this disabled child who turns into an adult and you're just supposed to like suck it up and put your smiley face on and we tuck it away in our corners and we don't want to deal with anything messy. Um, But it's, you know, we have to, because caregivers' lives depend on it. These families' lives depend on it. So it's time to bring these stories to the light, I think, um, Mm -hmm. and make society see it somehow. And I don't think people are willing to look at it until it impacts them personally. Mm -hmm. I know I quote you all the time, Jess, but as you always say, I mean, everybody is just one diagnosis or one accident away from being a caregiver. And think about how many of our parents in that generation are constantly being diagnosed with dementia and Alzheimer's and all of that. And you become a caregiver for your parents as well. So that's the other big fear that I have. Obviously there's a list that keeps me up at night, but um, (laughs) you know, we're, we're caring for our young adult children or future adult children. Um, And then what if something happens to me or my husband like, what if I get dementia, then who's going to take care of me because I'm supposed to be taking care of Skylar and then nobody's taking care of any of us. And then we ultimately become a burden on our community and society. Somebody has to pay for us and somebody has to help us out. So what do we do then? And that's the emergency situations that I don't mm-hmm. want to end up in. I want to proactively account for all of that so that all of us are have, have care, but until it hits you personally, I just don't think people are willing to listen. I mean, I, I heard some of that feedback about your documentary is that, you know, so many caregivers that follow us on social media, we're sharing it amongst ourselves, but we live that life. I, mm-hmm. I know that already. It's the people who, you know, came to your premiere event or th- they, they don't live this life. So they got to see it. And they were just like, uh, like shocked that that's what we deal with every day. We need more shock value. I mean, people mm-hmm. need to share the truth, the hard truth of what this life can be like, I think for people to be willing to take action um, and put their money where their mouth is or like donate services, something Mm -hmm. to, um, to make this better. I I don't know. Because this isn't a problem that's going away. I mean, statistically, what do they say? One in 44 kids right now has Mm -hmm. autism. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I don't even know what a world like that looks like as all of these kids age and all of their caregivers are caring for them. Like Mm -hmm. that's the breakdown of society as we know it, because caregivers can't work and care for their children with profound autism. I mean, you can't do it very well. (laughs) We we understand that. And I read um, that one, uh, that there are a million children with autism turning 21 in the next decade, Mm -hmm. a million 21 year old autistic adults in the next 10 years, might even be nine years at this point. I mean, what are we going to do? The majority of them could be nonverbal like Skylar Mm -hmm. um, or Luke or, you know, minimally verbal like Blake. And it's like, we're not an anomaly. Like this isn't just some random family that has more severe autism than other families. There are plenty of kids who are verbal and they still can't work or they still don't have the skills to do other things. So it's not even a who has autism worse than the other person. We all Mm -hmm. need some level of service because, you know, that's part of being diagnosed with autism. There's just some differences with social, you know, interaction, all kinds of things where they need support throughout their entire lifetime. So I'm not just complaining like, woe is me because Skylar's more severe and has a lot more needs. It's not that at all. I want to be able to engage in these conversations with parents and, and people all over the country so that we, again, can start a movement to make these changes because I just don't want to see other families struggling, having this exact same conversation that we're having 30 years from now. Like somebody should do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... <laughs> I was also just thinking that, you know, we also need those providers that we've found in our families who love our kids and get it and just value them for being them. We need them to talk more because Mm -hmm. that's how we're going to get more caregivers like them. Like I've been really so grateful to these, the, the providers that we've been able to find because they, it's just a no brainer that they like you said, they don't take one bad day and just say, oh, that kid's just like that. They get, they just value these kids for who they are and they believe in them that they're going to be able to do as much as they can do. And they're going to, you know, continue to make progress and that they're great kids. They're just, they love being around them. And we need more people like that. And we need them to show people who are coming up through school or whatever, that, Hey, this is a career. These are you know, this is something you could do that's so valuable and so needed. And then we got to pay them, you know, for that. Mm -hmm. Like nursing. I mean, people say that to kids all the time, go into the nursing field and you'll, you'll always have a job and you'll have your pick of jobs. And if we could transform the caregiver or the direct care worker profession into something like that, make it very appealing to go into it. I think we'd have a lot more kids lining up to go into that field. Maybe we just need to start going to colleges to nursing programs and start talking to them about, you know, mm-hmm. do you really want to be in a hospital or do you want to work with like, like this these amazing kids? Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Better hours, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but 24 7 is not really good hours. No, I'm kidding. No. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I know we could talk for five hours on this topic, but I just really appreciate you guys sharing you know, the states of Michigan and Arizona and, you know, what little bit you've tapped into. Um, Cause I know our kids are still younger in the adult um, arena, but um, it's, it's helpful to know that some states are 26, some states, you know, seem to have more day program options than others. Um, 
as a lasting kind of um, comment, I guess, from each of you, is there something, if someone was moving to Michigan or Arizona, is there a specific organization or somewhere you would have them contact to just kind of get started with either a waiver or um, that you found is a really good resource? Because those are even scarce in a lot of places. So Jess, is there something that people should absolutely look into if they are considering moving to Michigan? Well, the Lucas Project. Yes. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, we do have a few really good nonprofits. Um, our community mental health organizations, each county has their own community mental health. And then um, they're the ones who set you up with your case manager and your all the services that your child is eligible for. Um, and then there's another nonprofit called Lori's Voice um, here in, in Michigan. They are fantastic. They are right now gifting numerous families with vans, accessible vans. Mm -hmm. um, I think they've gifted like 10 families here. We have been a recipient many times of um, those locks that I referenced earlier. They purchased those for the new house. They purchased the, the $1,000 faucet for Luke so that he, he can't turn it and scald himself in the bath. Um, they purchased like a lot of perky things that we're going to be thousands and thousands of dollars. And we were like, eh, should we spend this money? And then I filled out an application and they approved everything. So they are very, very generous with helping families here in Michigan. That's awesome. Robin, anything in Arizona that comes to mind? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, there is a, um, there's an organization called Raising Special Kids here that is has been is phenomenal for all you know all ages um, all different disabilities and they can really set you up with um, the resources and the links and and anything that you need in in Arizona but then there's also specifically for autism our local chapter of our, our autism society is just phenomenal they have um, they have support groups running all the time both for parents and caregivers, but also for adults with dis adults with autism, they have a couple different groups going on. Um, and the our, our new president of our chapter um, is a mom of a young adult with autism, and she's been active in this community and making changes to laws and, you know, fighting the legislature on all kinds of things and getting all kinds of things changed. So she knows her stuff here and um, always has um, really great resources for people to know how to navigate everything here. So that's awesome. I just feel like it's never too soon to start, you know, reaching out to people and kind of some families are like, I don't like to plan beyond, you know, this year or this month or whatever. But um, if you kind of can see the severity level of your child and where it's, where it's headed, I just think it's never too soon to start looking into future resources. If you need them, you need them. If you don't, then you could share that with someone else. Um, it helps when we all do the research and share what we know with each other, which is what I hope that this episode does for people um, living in those areas or thinking of moving to your states. So um, I don't think anyone wants to move here. No, no diss on Indiana, but it's terrible. <laughs> so we're on our way out. <laughs> I've been very transparent about that. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. It was really enjoyable to talk with you guys. Well, we'll definitely stay in touch because I know we have a lot of plans that we're going to put in place. <laughs> so thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast 
within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Skylife with others. Thanks again for listening.